Thank you for downloading this podcast from Lafayette Community Church. We hope this message inspires you to know and live the life you were designed for, because we exist to help people just like you discover life in Christ. Hey, I want to jump into our lesson for today, because today, um, number one, I'm kind of a little bit afraid of it, uh, because there's a lot of stuff on my heart that I want us to cover this morning, and you know, I only have about 30 minutes to do it. I might take a little bit more time than that. But then again, most of you already know me, and that's okay. We've been in the series that I've called I Want to Go Back, largely because we're in a season of our lives where a lot of us are feeling nostalgic. We're feeling like, man, if we could just go back to what things were like, um, and you have a different time frame. Maybe some of you, you say, I want to just go back three weeks. Maybe some of you are like, I want to go back six months. Maybe some of you are like, I want to go back six years. I'm not sure exactly what it might be for you, but I know that we just live in a world right now where a lot of us are saying, I wish I could go back before, or I wish I could go back to when things were simpler, or I wish I could go back to when I was younger, or maybe you're saying, I just want to go back to church. Listen, staring at a camera is fine and everything, but I really miss you guys. I miss seeing you all here in this place. And I miss you for a number of different reasons. One, I love you, and I wish you would be here because life is more fun when you're with the people that you love. And so, you know, when you're here in the room, that's pretty cool, but I got to be honest with you. I, I also miss you because when you're here, that protects my ego a little bit. You see, one of the problems with being a pastor who's trying to do this thing over video is that when I make a joke that I think is funny, no one in the room is laughing. Okay, I take that back. Last week, I said something funny, and Chuck, in the back of the room, made a very big head nod and fake laugh so that I would feel like I wasn't completely alone. And at one other point, he like raised his hands and like pretended to be like, you know, all in the moment. And I was like, yeah, Chuck, thank you for that. But listen, my ego is kind of hurting when I say something that I think is a brilliant point and no one in the room says amen. You know what I'm saying? It's one of these things where I could say that it's a noble thing for me to want you to be back here in this building. But a lot of the things that I have to be honest with myself about is that what I want and the reason I want things to go back the way they were is because I'm a selfish person. And I like my own comfort. And I like the systems I've created around myself to sort of meet my momentary needs. And right now, those systems are gone from a lot of us. Normal life for all of us is basically one gigantic sequence of coping mechanisms. And we're not in that place anymore. We're in the weird space. And I'm convinced God wants us here. I'm convinced God wants me in the weird space because it's in the weird space where he is calling me to be a faithful teacher of God's word regardless of the feedback that I get. If you've been watching my YouTube videos, you know over this last week I've gone a little bit farther than I usually go when it comes to talking about a particular topic. And um, I've been a little bit more bold. You know, on the one hand, when you're talking into the air, you can be a little bit more bold when you don't have that feedback. But on the other hand, you might not say exactly what you feel you need to say because you're not getting the encouragement to do so. Listen, for preachers, this is a weird time. 
For me, it's a weird time. But today is one of those days where I feel like I have to be faithful. Today is one of those days where I feel like I have to be honest with what God's Word says, regardless of what the feedback might be. And so I hope you will join me in seeing these words directly out of Second Peter. Let me set it up for you just a little bit. Over the series, over the past couple of weeks, our main idea is that we can't really go forward if we have a bad relationship with our past. If we are constantly trying to get back to our past or fix our past or ignore our past, we cannot move forward. And one of the main problems that we have is that ignoring word, the thing I said there at the end. We, you might feel nostalgia, that's the desire to go back to the past. You might feel regret, that's the desire to fix the past. But sometimes we want to just ignore the past because frankly the past is boring. When I was in college was the first time I had a history class that I enjoyed. I was a senior in college and I was required to take this two credit hour class because I was going to graduate under the calendar, under the, the college catalog that was in effect when I was a freshman, not the one that was in effect when I was a senior. And when I was a freshman, the, the catalog that I started with was one that required six hours of history. And when I was a senior, the school only offered four hours of history under the, the undergraduate gen ed kind of requirements. And so there was this one class that they created just for seniors who needed two more hours of history. And we went there. I was sitting there in the class. First of all, the class was taught by an incredibly um, well-known individual in the evangelical Christian world. He was very popular at the time. And so I was excited to be taking a class from him. But he walks into the classroom and his first words to us were, listen, I know you're only here because you have to get two hours of history credit. And so he just called us out right from the beginning. He's like, I know you saved your history requirement until your last semester of your last year because none of you like history. And so he said these words. He said, I'm going to make you like history. I'm going to just, I know that you want to blow this class off. And so I am just going to give you some history that has fun in it. And that whole class was the first time I ever really enjoyed history because it was the first time history began to become alive to me. I don't know if you liked history. I know a couple people in our church really like history class, but uh, I hated it my entire high school career and, in fact, my early college, which is why I saved it till my senior year. But here's the thing about history. Of course, you always have heard the phrase, those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. I'm pretty sure that's a phrase invented by history teachers to make their jobs feel more worthwhile. No, I'm not criticizing history teachers. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of us want to ignore history because, frankly, it's boring. We would much rather pay attention to something that's new and fresh. I think the two big reasons we hate history is, one, history, for whatever reason, never seems to be about me. And two, history always seems to be out of date. And I am entirely focused with what's going on in my life right now. And so history, for a lot of us, doesn't seem relevant. We come to a passage in Second Peter where that same problem is going on. That same loss of awareness of history is going on. 
That same thing is basically a group of people understanding that the past shouldn't really matter to them. They want to move into the future. And Peter is calling them back to something really, really old. In fact, if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write this down. God's ancient word is still what I need. God's ancient word is still what I need. Our temptation is to say the past is the past is the past. I'm here and now and I'm worried about the present and I'm worried about me. But God's ancient word is still what I need. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. In 2 Peter, we see these verses. The last section of chapter 1 says this. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I talked about this last week where Peter is saying the words of the prophets in light of Jesus and his fulfillment of those prophecies demonstrates that they are completely reliable. The word of the prophet, the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is completely reliable. Well, if you skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter says in chapter 3, the first verse, he says, the reason I've written to you is to remind you that you should pay attention to the past. You need to know your history. And not just your history, you need to know specifically the commands of the holy prophets and the words of Jesus. In other words, God's ancient word is still what I need today. So if Peter ends chapter 1 talking about the importance of paying attention to the prophets of the past, and if uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 begins with him reminding us that we need to pay attention to the past, perhaps the question you are asking yourself is, what goes on in chapter 2? What's in the middle? Well, in chapter 2, Peter talks about the problem that requires us to pay so much attention to the past. The problem that requires us to pay attention to the past. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire chapter for you. And so because of that, I'm just putting the text up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 2, I'm reading the whole thing. Here we go. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people talking about the past. Remember, chapter 1 ended with him talking about the good prophets. He says, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what 
is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. If I lost you there, that's because Peter was trying to make a point that God has judged people before and he will do it again. Keep going. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Again, there's some weird stuff going on in there. People blaspheming against angels? What is that all about? Verse 13, keep going. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. If you haven't noticed this yet, Peter is mentioning a lot of things that came out of the Old Testament, as if he thought that understanding the Old Testament and the past in general was important to us. Keep going. Verse 17, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed, returns to her wallowing in the mud. There's a reason I read the whole thing. And I believe it's because we are tempted to hear language like that and shut off to it. We are tempted, perhaps at some point while I was reading that, your mind wandered, you got a little distracted, you thought of something different. Perhaps as I was reading through that, you got a little confused and you're like, what is Peter talking about here? I don't know that story. Perhaps as I was reading through that, you're like, wait a minute, what is that? I don't understand what that means at all. That sounds completely outlandish. I'll let you know, if you don't know the past, there's a lot that you're missing. If you don't know the Old Testament, there's a lot that you're missing. But Peter is actually trying to make a bigger point here. And the bigger point is in this section, 
there are three basic intertwining ideas. And I'm going to try to unpack them for you and isolate them so you can see the three different intertwining ideas. His overall main idea is don't follow false teachers. That's his big picture idea. But he says three specific things about false teachers back in his day, false teachers in the days before him, and false teachers always. Here's the truth about false teachers even today. They are attractive, but they're also destructive, and God will judge them. They're attractive, they're also destructive, and God will judge them. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to put up on the screen a number of verses from this chapter we just read that highlight how attractive false teaching can be. He says this, in their greed, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. It says this, they are fabricating stories. And what motivates them? Greed. Let me ask you a question. How good does a story have to be for you to pay for it? These people are motivated by their greed. And so they're telling you stories. And the only way a story translates into greed is if you like the story so much, you pay them. In other words, these people are saying something that is so enticing, so attractive, that you are willing to use your money to hear more of it. Their greed is leading them to fabricate stories. And you are so interested in the lies they tell that you are willing to put your money where their mouth is. These people are attractive. It says this, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Usually people carouse at night, but these people are carousing in broad daylight. And you might look at them and you're like, wow, they're having a lot of fun. I think I should probably join them because, hey, they're having a lot of fun. And that's a person who seems to be a good teacher. They tell some really good stories and look at how they're living even in broad daylight. I want to join them or look at what it says here. It says they are blocked and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. For some reason, they're holding parties and you're going to it. They're holding parties and you're enjoying it too. For they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. These people are so attractive. These people are so enticing. These people are saying things you want to pay to hear more of. These people are doing things you wish you could join them in. And then it says this, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever's mastered them. But they're making promises. And they're making such promises that you would be willing to give up your freedom because they are promising you a different kind of freedom. These people are just slaves. But because they're promising you these things, you might be inclined to follow them. False teachers are attractive. But don't forget, false teachers are destructive. Take a look at this. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Sure, their conduct is depraved. And sure, people are following them into more depravity. But did you see that? The way of truth will be brought into disrepute. 
Did you know that there are teachers in this world that are so attractive, Christians might be tempted to give them money? to hear them speak more? And did you know that because of their teaching and because of their behavior, the world around us might look at the truth of God and reject the truth of God, give the truth of God a bad report because these false teachers are connected to it somehow? They can bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their stories are fabricated. They are fake, and they are exploiting you with them. They're destructive, and their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Take a look at this. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. If a teacher somehow gets you entangled back in the things of the world, you will be worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. Listen, false teachers are attractive, but false teachers are destructive, and that's not all. False teachers will be judged by God. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. God views these people as smudges. God views these people as dots, goo that needs to be wiped off of the clean surface of his world. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. False teachers are attractive. False teachers are destructive. And false teachers will be judged. By God. Now, at this point, I think I may have lost some of you. <laughs> you know, some of you are like, well, that's just a whole lot of content. That's just a whole lot of data. That's just a whole lot of information. I'm not exactly sure that really applies to me. I'm, I'm not really sure that that, you know, matters. It just sounds like history, Jeff, and I never really liked history. And I'm just not sure it really applies to my life. My life is about today. And you know what, Jeff? I don't think there are false teachers in this world right now. I think that's something that, you know, was something that Peter was worried about. Because you're probably thinking false teachers are those people who go around saying things like you have to earn your salvation and Jesus' death isn't enough. Or maybe you're one of those people who uh, thinks false teaching is when someone says, there is no such thing as heaven and hell. We all just sort of absorb into the void. Or maybe you're one of those people who says false teaching is a person who denies the existence of God. And uh, so you're thinking, you know what? There's not really that much false teaching in the Christian environment today. I'm just going to stick in the Christian environment and I'm pretty safe from false teaching. Or maybe you're on the flip side. Maybe you're one of these militant people and you're like, okay, point out the false teachers, Jeff, I'll get them. 
You just tell me who they are, and I'll post things on my Facebook feed that really attack that other person. Just tell me which church is false. Just tell me which teacher is false. Just name them, and I will join you in the fight. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's where you're feeling this. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to name any specific false teachers today. And also, I'm going to tell you, you're surrounded by them. In and out of the church. They're all over the place. All over the place. So before I identify for you the false teaching that you need to look out for, I want to start by just asking this question of you and of me. Why do we fall for it? Why do people fall for false teaching? What, what makes us susceptible to false teaching? Well, I actually kind of already showed it to you. You see, chapter 2 is all about the false teachers and why you should avoid them. And chapter 3 says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, not false thinking, but wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past. History is somehow the answer by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I think one of the key reasons we are susceptible to false teaching is that we are bored with the teaching we already have. There's something in us that doesn't like the teaching we already have. You get yourself to a difficult part of the Bible and you're like, you know what, I'll just move along. I'll find something else more interesting. And if you've been in church long enough, you've already exhausted all the easy, interesting passages. You've already grasped all the low-hanging fruit. You've already uh, gotten all of the little snippets. You've already bought the bumper stickers. And the difficult passages are still laying in there, and you're like, ah, it's too much effort. I've never really liked history anyway. I want something more. There are three things I want you to write down here because I think they are desperately true of us in our current situation and I think they have brought us all to a place where we are susceptible to false teaching in incredibly dangerous ways. The first one is this. We have what I call spiritual FOMO. FOMO is an acronym started uh, not too long ago. It stands for the fear of missing out. We have a spiritual kind of fear of missing out. See, we believe that we are not as spiritual as we should be. And we see other people who appear to be more spiritual than we are. And they talk about having spiritual experiences that we haven't had. And we are afraid that we're going to miss out on those spiritual experiences. We're afraid that we are going to miss out on the new thing that God is doing in this world. And so we don't want to spend any time with the old thing because the new thing we might miss out on. If I watch too many classic movies, I'll never see the latest blockbusters. If I read too many classic books, I'll never see the latest uh, bestseller. And if I spend too much time reading the Bible, I won't be able to experience the spirit spiritual thing God is doing in the world right now today. And if someone is telling me God is doing something special in this world right now, I'm going to be tempted to follow that thing because of my own fear of missing out. What is that new thing that I'm going to miss out on? Secondly, I think we are all guilty of spiritual pride. 
This is that idea that you know, you know you've experienced this before. You, a lot of you have experienced it in our church. I have taught something from this stage, and you have had a moment of enlightenment where you said, I never thought of it that way. I never saw things that way before. And then you told me, I never thought of it that way. I never saw things that way before. And then I felt a little bit of pride in myself because I came up with the way of talking about it. And then you probably felt a little bit of pride in yourself and a little bit of pride in our church for getting something down that no one else has ever gotten before or that other churches you've been in haven't gotten before. And all of us love it when we learn something new and kind of secret because it makes us feel special. When you have a secret on your heart, you feel powerful. You feel special. You feel worthy of that secret. And so you feel as good, if not better, than the fact that was just shared with you. We all have this. It's called spiritual pride. The problem is it's really hard to get spiritually prideful when I'm reading the same Bible that someone else is reading. It's really easy to get spiritually prideful when I've got new information that they don't have. And so a false teacher can swing into my life and say something just a little bit different, a little bit new, and I could be tempted to follow that because I've got a fear of missing out and also because I've got spiritual pride. I like feeling better than other people, especially when it comes to my spirit. But there's a third thing. The biggest reason we fall prey to false teachers is that we have given up on spiritual maturity. Especially here in the United States of America, I've been in churches long enough to be able to say this, I believe, with some authority. It is standard practice in churches that we would rather learn another thing than do another thing. We would rather learn another fact than do another act. We would rather... Have someone tell us something we haven't heard before than to go to some needy person and open a door. We've given up on spiritual maturity because we are so comfortable with spiritual knowledge. Pride. Knowing something new. Not missing out on the latest spiritual fad. But there was a time There was a time, particularly in 2 Peter chapter 1, where we were called to add to our faith goodness and to allow that to grow in our lives. Listen, let me just be honest with you. When I graduated from seminary, I knew way more than I know now. When I graduated from seminary, I came out of seminary knowing things like supralapsarianism, knowing things like the hypostatic union. I came out of seminary knowing things like consubstantiation and the difference between it and transubstantiation. I knew things that are completely way beyond what I know now. I've spent a long time not thinking about the hypostatic union. I've spent a long time not thinking about the specifics of the ordo salutis. I don't remember a whole lot from seminary. But by God's grace, I'm a better person. God has helped me to grow. And I believe the same thing can be true for you. I believe our temptation to follow false teachers stems from the fact that we have lost a desire to actually grow in maturity and have settled 
with weaker versions of growth. Growth in knowledge, growth in experiences, or something else. So, what I want to do is I want to point out to you what the false teaching is so you can avoid it. There's just a problem. Peter doesn't tell us. He gives us some hints. And because of the hints, I can give you a general statement. But Peter doesn't say the false teaching is the person who teaches you this. Peter doesn't say the false teaching is when someone says works will save you. Peter doesn't say the false teaching is when someone denies the existence of hell. Peter doesn't say the false teaching is this, that, or the other thing. In fact, he just gives us some hints. Let me show you what I mean. Here's the first hint. He says, there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Here is something the false teachers talk about. Secrecy. They will do something secretly. They don't want to be overt that what they're doing is contrary to Scripture. They're going to sneak it in there. And so they're going to secretly introduce some destructive heresies. And they are going to introduce destructive heresies. There are things that are absolutely wrong, and they are destructive. But here is the key hint. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Something in what they're teaching is denying something about Jesus. It says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh... Listen, I don't have time to talk today about heaping abuse on celestial beings. If you come to my Tuesday Made for More class, you can ask the question. We can talk about it. But right now, I just want to look at this. They appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh. In other words, they are appealing to a desire, something that you and I want. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They don't entice people who are mature in their faith. They entice people who are immature in their faith. They promise them something new, freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. What is this false teaching? Based on these three hints, we can conclude a blanket statement of false teaching is this. False teaching is always something we want to hear and something that elevates us instead of Jesus. It's something we want to hear. And it's something that elevates us instead of Jesus. One of the things social media has done is it has completely highlighted the prevalence of falseness in our lives. And do you know how? It was completely, you know, maybe expected, maybe unexpected. Facebook decided they would create an algorithm that said, let's find out what people like and give them more of that. And so they did. People started liking things. Facebook started noticing things. And they gave you more. And you liked something and they gave you more. And as a result, you ended up with a feed that's filled with false things. Because see, here's the thing. What's false is always more attractive than what's true. True feels boring. True feels old. True feels history. 
false feels fresh. Because there's always another false thing that can come out. Truth, just like the past, doesn't change. There's always something false that's about me. Truth doesn't care really about me. It just is. And the more we listen to what we want to hear, and the more we pay attention to something that elevates us instead of Jesus, the more we fall into false teaching. In 1851, a book was written, Bible Defense of Slavery or the Origin, History, and Fortunes of the Negro Race. As deduced from history, both sacred and profane, their natural relations, moral, mental, and physical, to the other races of mankind, compared and illustrated their future destiny, destiny predicted, etc. By Josiah Priest, A.M., a pastor, also by Reverend W.S. Brown, M.D., of Glasgow, Kentucky. This is a representation of the four classes of mankind. At the top, we've got a white European man. At the left, we have a man, I assume, from Asian descent. At the bottom, there's a Native American man. And at the right, there's a man of African descent. And you will notice, of course, the white man is on the top. And you'll notice, of course, that the others, if you were to zoom in on this, have been drawn in relatively negative ways. The title page of the book says, to which is added a plan of national colonization adequate to the entire removal of the free blacks and all that may hereafter become free in a manner harmonizing with the peace and well-being of both races by Reverend W.S. Brown, M.D., of Glasgow, Kentucky, published in Louisville, Kentucky. Of course, the irony on this page is that it's the sixth stereotype edition. I want to laugh at that, but I kind of can't. As part of their biblical argument, it says, according to the theory that black people were created as the descendants of Ham, who was the son of Noah, Noah who had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Shem being of copper hue, Japheth being of pure white hue, and Ham being of dark skin. In this way there was produced and ever has been two races of black or negro men, the straight-haired Negro has ever been found to be more intellectual, enterprising, and comely to look upon than the other race, who from earliest times have been made slaves of. The woolly heads have always, as a people, been less inclined to improvement, either physically or mentally. By this means, it is seen that the two races had early a mighty barrier placed between them, so that when a woolly head married with a straight-haired black person, it was held as a great disgrace for the straight-haired one, as it is now when the whites amalgamate with the blacks. I had to put this big red line on this screen because I'm afraid that someone is going to take a screenshot of me standing next to that travesty 
of biblical interpretation. It says, God called a curse down through Moses, through Noah's lips. He called a curse down, a dreadful curse, which not only covered the person and fortunes of Ham, but that of his whole posterity also, to the very end of time, for aught or nothing that appears to the contrary. For an account of this appalling curse, see Genesis 9, 24 through 27, as follows. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, cursed be Canaan. No, they changed the word to Ham. Canaan was Ham's son. Ham was Canaan's father. But they still associate Ham with Canaan because they have a point they're trying to make. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan, Ham shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan, Ham, shall be his servant. And then he says more stuff. The actual text says, when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And people use this passage to declare that because we think black people descended from Ham and because we think a curse against Canaan is probably a curse against Ham and because we think Noah, despite his drunkenness, was a wise, righteous man in offering this curse that was a curse for all eternity and because we think that this was a curse on Canaan symbolically of Ham, symbolically of the entire black class of humanity, that therefore it is justified and proper that this class of person be always and forever enslaved. And those who violate slavery violate God's direct command. Of course, there's a big problem with that. To quote Genesis 9, 24 through 25 this way is to forget Genesis 9, 5 through 6. When God says to Noah, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans Shall their blood be shed? For in the image of God has God made mankind. The only way to misunderstand Genesis 9.24 is to completely ignore Genesis 9.5 through 6. Where we are reminded that God created all people in his image. Where we are reminded that God himself will demand an accounting for every human, for the life of of other humans. And on the very same website where I found the scanned copies of that book, the top reviewer said this, Now you will learn that skin color, creed, and race absolutely do make a difference in the Bible, all the difference contrary to what your church and your pastor has taught you. The Godhead created different races. All races are not equal. All men are not equal. And this review was posted on July 3rd, 2019. 
I like older things. Older things like John 3, 16, which say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. False teaching is attractive. False teaching is destructive. False teaching will be judged by God. But that doesn't mean you are immune from false teaching. That doesn't mean I'm immune from false teaching. Because false teachers always tell us what we want to hear. False teachers always elevate us instead of Jesus. And false teachers will someday eventually face blackest darkness. But not yet. Right now. All they face is a world of people who far too often are eager to hear what they have to say. Do you know a false teacher? I would love to highlight for you some false teachers in this world. I would love to point my finger at a whole bunch of them. But I'm going to let Peter do it. There were false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce their destructive heresies. Do you know anyone? Is there anyone you know about who peddles in secrecy, who hides things that might be damaging to them if they got out? If you do, you know a potential false teacher. This person introduces destructive heresies, things that are wrong according to the Bible. Do you know anyone who will talk about the Bible in ways that are not accurate? If you do, you know someone who might be a false teacher, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Do you know someone who seems to act like they are proposing, that they are encouraging the belief in Jesus, while at the same time denying his sovereignty in this world. If you do, then you know someone who might be a false teacher. Many will follow their depraved conduct. Do you know someone who has a lot of followers, but whose conduct is depraved? Then you know someone who might be a false teacher and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Do you know someone who claims to be elevating the cause of Christ in this world, but is causing a lot of people to hate Christians even more, and brings the way of truth into disrepute? If you do, then you know someone who might be a false teacher. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Do you know someone who will say whatever it takes and will say anything that he or she wants to make up just so that in their greed, they can exploit you further? Do you know someone who peddles in fabricated stories because it brings them more money or more power? If you do, you just might know a false teacher. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. I would not want to be too close to a person such as that. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Do you know someone who follows the desires of the flesh? 
If you do, you know someone who might be a false teacher. Do you know someone who despises all authority, who claims that maybe he or she is the highest authority, who claims that maybe he or she has all the authority and that no one else has any authority over that person and despises anyone who tries to exercise authority over that person? If you do, you might know a false teacher. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Do you know someone who is bold and brash? Someone who doesn't care what they say. It's the thing that's on their mind, and so they say it. Then you might know a false teacher. Do you know someone who's arrogant, who is always proposing that they themselves are the best person in the room? If you do, then you might know a false teacher. And do you know that people like that blaspheme in matters they do not understand? Do you know a person who claims to know things when they don't? They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Do you know a person who appears to you to be mostly driven by their own instincts? then you might know a false teacher. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Do you know someone who in broad daylight has expressed moral infidelity, moral weakness, moral failings, and does it in broad daylight and claims that it's fine? Do you know a person who in broad daylight carouses and indulges their pleasures? If you do, you might know a false teacher. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Do you know someone who is willing to invite you into a party as long as you are willing to enter into their pleasures? then you might know a false teacher. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Do you know someone who has a track record of adultery? Then you might know a false teacher. Do you know someone who never stops sinning? Then you might know a false teacher. Do you know someone who seduces the unstable, the immature? Then you might know a false teacher. And do you know someone who is an expert in greed? If you do, you just might know a false teacher. They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Do you know a person who, like Balaam, will say whatever it takes because they're getting paid for it or because they're getting a benefit for it? If you do, you might know a false teacher. I'm not done. These people are springs without waters and mists driven by a storm. Do you know someone who acts like they're the source of refreshment and yet it's empty and hollow when it shows up? Who makes promises and doesn't fulfill them? You might know a false teacher. Do you know someone who mouths empty, boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error? Do you know someone who appeals to lustful desires? Do you know someone who mouths empty, boastful words? Do you know someone who entices people? Then you might know a false teacher. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Do you know someone who promises more freedom in this world while they themselves are living in depravity? You might know a false teacher. 
Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Do you know a person who repeats the same mistakes over and over again? You might know a false teacher. If you know someone who claims to support the body of Christ and holds even a few of these characteristics, you know a false teacher. And blackest darkness is reserved for that one. False teaching is attractive, but it is destructive. And God will judge it. A person like that brings the truth of Jesus into disrepute in this world. And I beg you to stop following. I don't have a closing song for us today. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to play Zoe's closing announcements. And then I'm going to have a a Zoom chat. And if you want to enter into it, if you want to ask me any questions of the stuff I've talked about today, you can do that today. If you just are looking for prayer, we'll spend a few moments in prayer. But I implore you to be people who look at the ancient word of God as something that you desperately need today. And to lay aside all the temptations to listen to the latest new thing, to hear the words that are being promised to you, to pay attention to the corrupt people. And if you know a false teacher, stop following. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I ask that you would help us to be people in this world who come back to the truth of Jesus who come back to the ancient story that there's a God who made all people in his image and that he desperately loves that which he has made and that even though they have wandered and fallen so far, he has sacrificed his own life to rescue them from their sin, to cleanse them, forgive them, and draw them back into relationship with him. And as a result of that, we can stand in his grace and we can spread his love and we can share his truth. And God, would you rip from our hearts all temptations to do otherwise? Would you cause us to be people of compassion and love and faithfulness regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on around us, but that our faithfulness would require us to respond to all of that with love and with the truth of the grace of the goodness of God.
Lord, I just ask that you would be with all of us and help us to be people who represent Jesus in this world. Go with us today, go with us this week, and allow us to be people who live this out well for your name and for your glory. Lord God, we love you. We need your strength as we go. We need your strength in everything that we do. Be our strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.